architecture change. Hi, I'm Andrew Mitchler. And then you're supposed to say I'm Jonah Stanford. I thought that was great. I thought it, it was just standalone. And this is Jonah Stanford. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. After you say that? Okay. Yeah. I think that would be really helpful. So we know <laughs> who the hell this other person is. Hi, I'm Andrew Mitchler. And I'm Jonah Stanford. And this is the podcast Arc Change. So can we say that this podcast is very much about the discovery or are working towards, but not necessarily have solved? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's completely about um, the process. Process is much more interesting now to me than the product. Because architecture gets built, I think it would be a shame to think of that as it being complete. Hi there, this is Andrew. I'm up in Seattle at the Living Futures Conference in 2016 and it's their 10th year anniversary. And uh, I had the good fortune of uh, getting in contact with uh, Brad Lilliaquist. I just probably mispronounced your name again. Lilliaquist. Lilliaquist, so not, I'm getting better You're at getting it. better. I just gotta keep pronouncing there was better. And I bet you if you go to Sweden, they'll say, oh, you're pronouncing it wrong. Oh no, they'll be like, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, once they find out that you're an author and head of one of the most uh, most progressive building standards in the universe as, as we know it, then maybe they'll get a little more respect. They might be. They might be. I'm, I, and I'm actually not head of it. I'm, uh, I'm in part of the leadership team. Okay. But even that, you know, I, I, my title's director of the Net Zero Energy Program, so that, that probably would get some respect. Yeah, yeah. And you, um, you also just came out with the book, The Power of Zero, Learning from the World's Leading Net Zero Energy Buildings. But before we get into the book, conversation and yeah. zero-ness uh, usually in these podcasts we ask people we're supposed to ask them what their background is and oh, how yeah. we got here so oh for sure so um, just like maybe a little bit about yeah. my professional background yeah, and exactly. how I got to doing all this stuff right. yeah um, it's interesting so well maybe it's interesting um, my you know I started off life we'll just a, edit out the uninteresting stuff okay so, that's so cool. don't no worries okay good yeah I started off life as um, an urban planner and uh, I did long-range planning and also current planning kind of uh, development projects and um, you know I always was kind of you know I think I've always had sort of a an edge towards kind of applied creativity and innovation within the built environment and I did a lot of that you know I was involved with um, I was working for a local county, a lot of suburban development was going on, and I was part of actually the original team here in the King County area that championed the Growth Management Act and the initial urban-rural line, and that was all in the early 90s. Mm. Uh, it was very interesting. This is kind of a new, ur- this it was re- kind of pre- rethinking urbanism? It's kind of pre-new urbanism. Mm-hmm. You know, the, kind of the, the sequence of the narrative of change there was we drew the line and then there was the movement, I think the neo-traditional design movement that was much more about like, okay, we're gonna get denser, more pedestrian oriented, more people oriented. And so I really started to get into urban design. But you also, point. you grew up here too, so you had I did. a feeling for the region and the culture? I did, yeah. I mean, I grew up on Bainbridge Island, and uh, which is just across the water from Seattle. Uh, really neat uh, community, it's grown a lot, but uh, yeah, I, I you know the area has really had a profound in, influence on me quite a bit, and I I love being back here. Um, yeah, but then I you know it was in about two thousand I started to feel like like the like there was more to it you know, and it felt like the built environment you know there was the community design aspect, but then there's the buildings themselves mm-hmm. and starting to and then also my master's is in environmental policy, so mm-hmm. I tend to look at things through that lens. You know, like, okay, bottom line. Does that mean like a macro? Yeah, more of a macro look. Like, mm-hmm. bottom line, what's the community? Like, for me, like carbon footprinting or water footprinting or toxicity footprinting is mm-hmm. a really awesome frame for, like, okay, driving how you're going to do stuff. So you're almost a systems thinker. I, yeah, I'm kind of a system thinker slash doer. Okay. You know, I like, I, I'm, I, I think what I do is I tend to be a conceptualizer and then an implementer of those. Well, let's go into the doing part then. Yeah. And 
what was that yes. phase when you got into buildings themselves? Yeah, so I mean, kind of probably my main thing was um, I actually developed one of the first net zero energy, you know, larger projects in the United States, which was the Z Home. And that's up here project. in Seattle with some of the least uh, solar radiance. It is, yeah. Too. It's, and you uh, must have known that at the time. I, uh, I we were a little clueless <laughs> at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, it, Z Home we built in Issaquah, which is kind of a, a uh, town outside of it. Uh, it's an old legacy it's out town. out to the east of here. It's out to the east, about a half hour from here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, um, it was interesting. It was, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, it's both, it's both easy and hard. And it is a marine climate and achieving net zero energy here. Every area has its challenge. I, I think it's what it boils down mm -hmm. to. You know, I mean, some areas are cold, but they have good solar, you know, like, you know, Denver, you know, Colorado, uh, for example, you know, lots of solar gain, cold, you know, and cold, hot dry. also, yeah. cold, dry. So you got challenges there, you know, here it's, we don't get a lot of solar, um, but it's more or less a mild, fairly mild climate. Although Issaquah was, is a little colder than Seattle is. Because you got the mountains right back there. Mountains are back there, the elevation. Somewhere. Yeah, it's actually two climate zones different from Seattle, just huh. a half hour away from wow. here. That's the interesting thing about Washington State is it's just so diverse in terms of weather and geology and everything, it's awesome. So you got into this project and describe the project a little bit. So it was a 10 unit, we, you know, we conceived it as really a change project. It was like, okay, we are going to build, you know, when you think about like 2030 challenge, we just had Ed Masria talk. He talked about the history of kind of establishing the 2030 challenge. And, you know, that was, he was actually an early inspiration to the Z Home project. And it was like, okay, build, I, we're going to start to build the 2030 challenge right now. We, right. we knew there were examples out there. There were examples in Europe. I was actually on sabbatical in 2005 in Europe, and I uh, was in at EdZ and, and other really cutting edge projects. I was like, let's come back and build that here in Seattle. Nice. So it was, um, yeah, so it's a 10 unit townhome project. Um, it is, uh, you know, so it's a nice scale. It's kind of not too big, not too small. and. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, we started working on it. There was a group of us who kind of launched it. I ended up being kind of the leader of that effort. I uh, ended up managing the project and kind of shepherding it along. We launched it in 2006. Uh, it kind of went into mothballs during the downturn for about a year or two. Uh, but we actually ultimately ended up partnering with a major Japanese home builder who was hmm. entering the U.S. market. They were very interested in energy efficiency and climate. They came in, actually picked the project up, funded it, and completed it. And they're now developing very high efficiency buildings in the Issaquah and Eastside area now. It's really cool. Ichijo USA. And you're measuring the project, I assume you you're data logging. For sure, yeah. In fact, we you know our certification requires 12 months of actual net zero energy performance, and so of the 10 units, we eight of the families agreed to be kind of part of the tracking a couple families just weren't interested which is cool um and it's very interesting that the result of that of the eight five of them are performing at net zero energy and three um, are not mm -hmm. um they're honestly all close but you know some are above the line and some are below the line yeah uh, but yeah, we have actually about two and a half years of data for the for eight of the units, which is a really fascinating data set. And now you're, um, how did you transition to, to the living future? Was there a direct transition to that? or It was you... actually super direct. We actually did the initial certification of Z Home. And it was interesting because Z Home actually developed, I would say, kind of in parallel to the Living Building Challenge. We mm -hmm. were not, we were not a registered project. We weren't really that much part, a part of the ecosystem. A couple people on the team were, but, uh, and then at the end, we kind of merged traffic. It was like, oh my God, you know, we actually fit uh, the challenge enough that we were able to become an energy pedal certified project. So went through the certification and then they were looking for somebody to direct their net zero energy program. And it's like, wow, I get to do this worldwide now. And, and so, what does that entail? You know, it's interesting. The job is uh, is an awesome job. It's it's really fascinating. We um, end up doing kind of a combination of stuff. It's, you know, it's kind of part-time educator. It's part-time inspirer. Mm -hmm. um, it's part-time coach. 
uh, it's you know we end up doing a fair amount of consulting work on projects so you know people have technical questions and so we'll maybe provide some technical guidance um, so it's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades with the eye on accelerating adoption of net-zero energy and high-performance buildings and the scope um, the scope is it is it just living buildings that are you typically involved in people are targeting at least the energy pedal yeah so it's interesting so i'm actually personally just transitioning i started at the institute just doing the net zero energy program and then i um, we launched the living community challenge about two years ago and because of my background as a planner uh, uh, amanda actually asked me to take on that also amanda jason and so I've kind of run two programs at the Institute. Which are very different beasts, too. Kind of. I mean, they are. For me, it's just been great because, like, it's all kind of one big flow. Mm -hmm. But it is, I, I, just to be honest with you, it fe it's felt like it's been hard to do justice to both, you know, under, under you know, having both under my wing. So uh, we just hired um, a new director of the LCC program, Alicia Ulig. Uh, who's a local, just she, she moved over from a local architecture firm, uh, GGLO. She was director of sustainability there. She is on the board of a local eco district. So we just totally scored uh, with Alicia. So she's going to pick that up. Uh, and I'm going to be just focused on energy and climate related stuff now. Okay. And how, in your book, how, how did that come into being? Was You know, we got a, it was really great. So we had um, a grant from the, Packard Foundation, they were one of our certified projects, they're actually on the cover of the book, uh, and they, um, you know, really, I think, found the process of building a net zero energy building uh, to be a pretty profound one, and so at the end of the process, they actually gave us a grant. Now, was there coincidence they're on the cover of the book, or that was... No, I mean, well, it's a good-looking building. This is the upper building we're looking that's at? That's the upper building, yeah. It's a two-story yeah. wood clad with these kind of the horizontal strips on the top that's right yeah it was designed by ehdd it's a fabulous building i mean and where's it located it's in um oh i'm gonna get the i'm sorry i'm gonna get the town wrong it's you know it's kind of south it, it's in the uh you know palo alto area i'm okay. not sure which of those towns i and i grew up in the bay area i have no idea how that there's those that the, side the, of the, the borders are all can be i know my mom lives in walnut it's creek suburb so to it's suburb like, to suburb yeah there's it's very hard, little delineation. it's hard to know but it's kind of that stanford you know tech area okay. silicon valley okay so um yeah it's a fantastic project and uh so they funded actually funded the creation of the book and you know honestly at the time so they write you a check personal check or how's that no it wasn't personal it was to the institute okay <laughs> so uh you know but i'm a institute employee and uh so it was interesting because honestly when we took it on it was like well we have all these case studies all this data should be pretty straightforward take all that consolidate it you know put some narrative between it and put a cover on it and we'll have a book it ended up taking way more time than that. Um, so this is your first book. I this is my it. first, definitely my first book. You didn't um, talk to anybody who wrote no, it. No, I was just like, oh, well, it kind of, it was, it was honestly funny because it kind of was like, the first idea was like, it's going to be a group effort. Like five of us are going to co-write this book. And, you know, we're all just like crazy busy at the right. Institute. And sure. Amanda was going to write a part and Jason was going to write a part. And it was like, well... And it was just clear at a certain point, like somebody just had to kind of take the, take it by the horns and make it happen. And, um, and the yeah. scope was always about net zero energy. Yeah, the basic idea, the, the core, and I'll say once I kind of owned it, the book grew, and which I'm glad about. I think it's actually more book than maybe we'd originally anticipated or even mm -hmm. scoped. Mm -hmm. The original idea was we're going to just do a book on case, case studies. studies like here's what here's how these buildings were built here's the story here's how they work technically right and you know i started to get into and it is that yeah it was the approach to the case studies was like doing an apples to apples type of comparison because we can get case studies anywhere it doesn't necessarily have to be in book form for sure often now but to consolidate that information so we understand how the buildings relate to each other was that 
part of the goal or for sure and actually if you look at the book there's actually some dials in there that are just energy use intensity performance of each building so that kind of is a, a narrative thread through the book mm-hmm. um, we tried to lay out the narrative of um, each case study in fairly you know some of the case studies are short some are much longer but we tried to cover similar elements at least tell a little bit of the, the kind of the leadership story of the project and then also the And you said side. you like narratives today when you talked about yeah. Azria's approach. Yeah. So did you take a narrative approach to that? I tried to. You know, I think if you look at the structure of the book, I start with kind of, I, I tend to like having a narrative of, of like problem, solution, and then where we're going. Mm-hmm. I tend to just tell that story in a lot of different settings. And so I structured the first part of the book of like, okay, why do we care about this? Why do we have to get off fossil fuels? Um, then kind of turn to the solution. 40% of energy use in the United States is building operations. Here's 19 buildings that have net, net zero. You know, just take them off that 40%. And if we, you know, if every building in the U.S. was like this, we could take that all the way down to 40%. Of That's course, true, but you'd have to adjust world, the grid. In the yeah. real world, there's a lot of changes, and which I, is part two and of I the think story. We, okay. Yeah, and do you get sure. into that part? We do in, in the book? end. Yeah, okay. it's kind of looking towards the future of the grid. Because I think a lot of us ha- understand net zero, in some ways, it's uh, the easiest thing to sell, right? Because yeah. you're, you're talking about zero, just achieving, you know, just finding a balance, essentially, is, is what your argument goal is. And then a lot of people have the same narrative, like Architecture 2030. And yeah. When I, when I was thinking about talking with you, and I've gotten into some interesting conversations in the past year or so yeah. about net zero. There's like NRAIL, for instance, has four definitions of net zero. The yeah. Department of Energy just came out with their own yeah. new definition, which is which is great, right. frankly, for them to at least uh, put in a more precise idea. We have, uh, as I was talking about, REM rate. You know, mm-hmm. we have these kind of very kind of rough software programs that have scales yeah, they go down to zero, and we call that net zero. For instance, yeah, like you guys have a really specific definition, at least for for the pedal. Yeah, and we have a standalone net zero energy certification also. So there's, you know, you can do full living building challenge. You can do pedal energy pedal certification. That's kind of part of the. You take a chunk of the living building challenge, and then we have a standalone net zero energy. What's the, what is, so what are the difference between the two? So there it's, there's one? not, to be honest, there's not a huge difference. So the, uh, the net zero energy certification is basically the energy pedal, mm-hmm. although we reduce the requirements somewhat, like the energy pedal now requires a little bit of energy storage. We don't require that with a net zero certification. We keep the net zero certification very clean. It's basically, net zero performance. Um, we also only, we don't certify projects that are straight greenfield projects. So we do have some kind of limits to growth requirements. Okay. And uh, then we have some education requirements also. So so there's kind of an urbanization component to it or a, you know, we, de- I, de-sprawl. It's a de-sprawl element. And element that, that, that one's interesting and, and it's, it's, it's kind of sad. There's times where it's like, yeah, there's a net zero energy project, but they, you know, chop down some fairly virgin forest, and sorry, we're not going to certify that. Okay, so that so that's so that kind of helps the ethos of where you want to nudge the whole community towards. Uh, is it on-site energy production? Yeah. So um, yes, it is, and you know, our definition. I just as an aside, you know, I. I it, a, a lot of conversations around net zero energy get into the definitions really quickly. And that's always been a great concern of mine because I kind of just feel like like the beauty of net zero energy to an outside person, like there's the half percent audience that like gets tweaky about, is it this definition or this definition? You know, with Z-Home, we had 10,000 people visit Z-Home mm-hmm. and got tours and learned about kind of low carbon living and all that kind of stuff. For them, it was just the basic of, it produces as much energy as it uses over the course of the year. You know, I mean, that's a quick elevator speech. And I, you know, it's like, I think those definitions are important, but I also feel like 
like I think sometimes the line gets blurred. Like net zero energy is not intended to be energy policy. It's not optimal energy policy. It's uh, it's a marketing term. I mean, I if I really wanted to, I will occasionally call it a gimmick. Uh-huh. You know, it's a way of getting people that wouldn't otherwise care about this kind of housing to be really pumped up about that. So when, when they get to that point when they're like, I mean, solar now is ubiquitous, right? So it's, yeah. it's actually not an exciting technology anymore yeah. in that sense. Weirdly. Now, yeah. now you, you literally walk into your blue or orange store and there'll be guys who are throwing flyers at you to put solar on your house. Right, right? yeah. And I've lived off for grid for 20 years, so it's like the most boring of technologies to me. Right. It's sort of like a blender. Yeah, in a in a way. So yeah, it's like so as as somebody was saying yesterday to me, it's like it's a rock that makes electricity. You know, it's like cool. It's you know? pretty. It's pretty basic. Right, right. But it's at the same time, it is. It's a rally cry. Yeah. Right. But uh, but the next conversation is, you know, our goal is to see, you know, as Ed Masria uh, framed it this morning, we're looking for zero carbon society at least in the building sector. We're not talking about transportation, food, and all those other yeah. sides of it, but for what we're responsible for, what's a zero carbon world look like? Yeah. And then it gets really, really complicated in a hurry, especially when you start talking about net zero. Uh, and my other question, follow-up question was that, yeah. was um, as we're also looking at urbanization of buildings, of course, Yeah. You know, we talk about going up, and then we have less of a footprint to put Modules on For sure. the building yeah. itself, and so we don't want to de-incentivize yeah. people or de-optimize buildings as well. Yeah. So, how do you approach that when you talk people, or, or does that question come up? Comes up all the time. Okay. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think it's important, like, to go back to the term narrative. I think, you know, th- this is uh, this is the unfurling of a narrative. You know, like it was interesting. There was a really beautiful during somebody's I think it was Jason's slideshow yesterday uh, a gorgeous unfurling of a, a fern frond you know yeah. and it's like to me I was looking at that thinking that's the unfurling of a story you know it's like okay mm-hmm. now this thing happened and this thing happened as the as the fern frond unfurls and you know, kind of biomimetic storytelling I guess but um, you know it is uh I, I think where the conversation is right now is that part of the conversation. And it's interesting because I think we're really in a rapid period of transition. It's just like yeah. we're still just trying to get I, – I, my concern is I, I feel like as a group we have to, to a degree, control the narrative of this. You know, and, like and When we you to, say as a group, are you talking about people who are just – in it's, the industry, it, yeah, it's the really core, high performing. The, the core leaders in this uh-huh. industry, you know, it's it's everybody from Passive House to uh, folks like the ILFI, the New Buildings Institute, NREL, RMI, kind of all the leaders that are in this space. I think I, I'm one of my personal goals is to work to get us at least somewhat on the, the same page about. Like there is, there is kind of a sequence of how this conversation wants to unfurl in the marketplace. And right now, I think we're just trying to get net zero energy understood in the marketplace as a basic term. Do you see yourself as um, you, the your group as being one of the contributors to creating that dialogue between the, all the different? Definitely. groups and, and helping to yeah because I in in I'm in a very charmed position just from book research and writing to also have personal relationships yeah with all these people yeah and yet my kind of my professional the world that I see is not in union with them so sometimes it it takes a lot more it takes effort yeah. genuinely to kind of see where those worlds cross and, and start making those connections because we are working on very different, uh, we're working towards the same end goal, but we have very different tools to get yeah. there, right? Yeah. And so, that's a hard thing to see how other people's tools work and how I know. they relate to what you're doing. Well, and you think about this from an organizational standpoint and kind of a cultural, you know, inter-organizational cultural standpoint, and 
I mean, to be honest with you, the ILFI, I mean, like any organization, we have a hard enough time just getting on the same page internally. So it's like, well, okay, you guys have like you 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 decided we're going to eat the whole buffet here, right? Well, you we kind of did. I <laughs> it's mean, pretty... that's it's like one way to approach it. It's just like yes, just say yes to everything, you know. And it, <laughs> sometimes I think that's crazy, but it's like yeah, you know, it actually kind of works. So, right. um, but yeah, I mean, I I think I'm just I actually in terms of kind of my own leadership in the in this space in the net zero energy or uh, deep energy space. You know, I see myself, part of my role is just trying to kind of help thread the narrative together. And um, it's easy to be competitive with each other. And, you know, we're all somewhat competitive, and I think that's good. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's time for us to also quit fooling ourselves. You know, the energy that the planet is is kicking us in the ass right now. Yes, I it mean, is. It, it is really, it started. We've got to get serious about that it is started. And... We, it's like a quickening, you know? It's like we, we really, we gotta get our shit together as a group and, and tie it together. Can I swear like that in here? Uh, absolutely. Okay. We, we'll encourage it. Okay, good. You know, if, okay. if, if your ex-leader can make us the entire I don't know. audience swear, like yeah. he, he had to have, you know, everybody say shit I was out together. of the room when that happened. I was really sad that I missed that, but. It was good. It was good. It was awesome. Good. I mean, I, I'm quite used to it personally. I but, know. Well, yeah, me too. But we try to be. That's. I guess this is why I'm learning the experience of podcasting because you can say whatever the fuck you want to say. Yeah, it's that's great. nice. That's great. But it's uh, now like I forget what I was very libertarian. Ask, good. <laughs> it is. This is kind of the leading edge of chaos. I know. I love here. it. Awesome. But in, to pick up just your what your point about how the earth is kicking us in our ass. Yeah. And we're in. Ed Masria right now, I mean, he he is a hero. Yeah. An absolute hero. Totally. Because he has this very clear mental map yeah. of civilization and where we are, and he has the numbers to back it up. Yeah. And nobody else has been able to personify that level of information. Yeah, I I've agree seen that, that. with that. But if we took his level of understanding of how we're improving the built environment and how we are creating those targets and as as a civilization yeah. that we're the a we're moving towards that and b this is how we keep pushing that path yeah we have that chart yeah but we also have the other chart where the earth is changing as rapidly or more rapidly yeah. than our industry is changing i know and that's the earth uses geological time yeah. as its standard and we're using human time or even career time right yeah so so it's a there's there's this incredible like race. Yeah, it feels like to me. Oh, I, it is it is a race, and it's so weird. You think about Dennis last night talking, you know, his impromptu mini keynote that and he this gave. This is Dennis Hayes, by the way. We're, we're throwing first names. I should probably use last names too. Dennis Just, Hayes, yeah. I yeah. mean, he's a he's the first coordinator of Earth Day. Uh, he runs the Bullet Foundation now. Yeah. Amazing kind of mentor to like many many of us in yeah. the seattle area. and he returns his emails immediately it's, i know he's an awesome email returner yeah, yeah. yeah he's so. really and it's thoughtful they're always like crazy thoughtful yeah but um in fact that's what leadership is is that fault thoughtfulness and that communication channel it's so total, totally totally it's, it's neat it is but, and it you know, returns his emails too but they're usually a little more I, you know, it's sort of weird for me because I'm terrible. Sometimes I'm terrible at email, and then I, like I'm, I'll get an email back from Dennis. It's like, well, geez, if Dennis can respond like that, I know, I need, <laughs> I need to get my own life in order. But uh, no, you know, he follow was Dennis on Twitter, by the way. Not enough people follow uh, at Dennis Hayes. Oh, so I'm gonna check that. He's got out. like 350 people. That's it. And that's it. Yeah. So oh my let's god, that. I'll put the link on. Okay, I'm gonna do it immediately. Yeah. Um, no, he. You know, he's. Um, yeah, he's just, he's a great leader. But, you know, last night he was saying, he was talking about how, you know, evolution, you know, things, you know, the story of evolution is sort of slow change punctuated by, like, crazy fast change. Yes. And, yes. you know, and he's basically saying, okay, our crazy, we need to go through crazy fast change right now, uh, kind of biomimetically, like culturally. And he was talking about the 70s and kind of all the stuff that was going on in the 60s. In some ways, he's a little different than Ed. His approach, Ed's like slow and steady. Yeah. And Dennis is like, right now, we have to grab it. 
You know, there's kind yeah. of a slightly different it's, narrative that they're they're giving us. Yeah, and, I think of you know it's interesting because they're both like trim tab people. You know, and, and explain trim tab. I so trim tab is uh, you know is a, a term that Bucky Fuller really popularized, and the trim tab is the rudder on the rudder. So like in a big ocean going ship to initiate a turn, mm -hmm. like the rudder has too much resistance in the water to actually turn itself. Uh -huh. So you have to use a little trim tab to kind of goose it a little bit, kick it over basically, right. and then it starts to turn. And it actually, uh, interestingly, very biomimetically in fact, it, um, it, it turns in the, you, it'll turn, you turn it in the opposite direction to initiate the turn. So if you want to go to the port, trim tab turns to starboard, mm -hmm. starboard to kick the, start the, the turn of the big rudder. Anyway, that's just kind of a side note. It's like a, it's like Tai Chi. It's kind of like you know, it's a, it's an opposing force to make the move. But uh -huh. um, where was I going with that? But I kind of got lost in that a little bit. But at uh, least we got the definition of it. But you're talking about yeah. they're both trim tab. Yes, they're both trim tab people. But yeah, I agree with that. I think you know, there's different kinds of trim tabs. There's like conceptual trim tabs, and then there's physical trim tabs, and mm -hmm. like event trim tabs and and you know I think I think of Ed you know and it's even interesting to look at 2030 as an organization and the ILFI as an organization because I think we you know well I, I mean we definitely we really blur the lines because I think Jason is an amazing amazing conceptualizer uh, but like there like with 2030 with Ed it's just the purity of the idea. It's like been basically one idea and one drumbeat since the beginning. And look at the impact. And it's self-actualized, like the logic. It's just, just builds it's it out, like, builds it out. Look at the name. Further. I mean, it was like so brilliant. It's like architecture 2030. Like we're gonna do this by then. And that's all we're gonna talk about for the next 25 years. And that's amazing. Whereas I think like Dennis, who's in kind of our ecosystem, maybe a little bit more you know, we're, I think of us more being like dreamers and doers. And we have like LBC, which is a framework, which is a very complete and somewhat chaotic, you know, set of design thinking. Although the principles that sit underneath it, things like performance, um, biophilia, biomimetics, those sorts of things are really strong, you know, conceptual undergirding. A lot of, I think, what we're about is actually like planting the change. Here's the change, you know, like, okay, 2030 challenge. Well, here's a building that achieves the 2030 challenge. So I think we're maybe a little bit more on the doing side of things. Yeah, and the right. 2030 challenge is a little bit more the here's the roadmap of what we're trying to do. Sure. And it's just a, as you- But that's the challenge, but they also are getting engaging a lot more in education with the palette yeah, uh, for sure. System and yes. they have AIA courses they're putting together now too. Yeah, but I mean that's a side note. I think we should Agreed. probably get back to yeah the net zero topic at yeah. some point. What's your favorite building in the book? Oh my gosh, well Zeno, that was my own project. What's your second favorite <laughs> building in the book? That's not a fair question for me. It's hard for me not to. Um, oh my, uh, that's a good. Question. You know, when what, the, what book, what what building has the most interesting or one of the more interesting narratives? To yeah, you? Like, like everybody building always has a story, and you can fall in love. They're like children, for sure. They can, yeah, they can fall in love with all. You know, one I really love, and it's well loved by the institute generally, is the Hawaii Preparatory Academy mm -hmm. building. Mm -hmm. um, I think just from the standpoint that that, you know, if you really look at the idea, of kind of just very the simple idea of designing with nature. You know, that building was designed as an airfoil that uses the prevailing wind pattern. The wind comes from the north. That, that's a building that sits on the big island of Hawaii. Uh, the wind comes from the north very consistently. And um, they basically, the main load in the building was cooling. It's up at like 3,000 feet. So it's not super hot there, but hot enough that you know it, it needs cooling, uh, nighttime cooling and stuff. And they basically um, used uh, the uh, the building to create a kind of a back eddy. They used the principle, the Bern the Bernoulli principle, 
So the wind kind of, the building is kind of shaped like an airfoil and right. the, as the wind accelerates up and over the, the peak of the building, it creates a back eddy on the back side of the building, which creates a natural vacuum and they have a set of louvers there that open up and then they have some louvers down low um, that then open up and basically the, and the louvers down lower on the front side of the building they're on both sides actually oh, both sides. yeah and it basically the building just vacuums itself out using and the does wind. it do it automatically yes it's all automated and um you know it's so elegant it's like wow you know like rather you know any building in that other buildings there would just throw an air conditioning unit on is there. it because the spirit of it is you're talking about you know you guys are emulate nature for your design so how 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 would like a fish in water use the currents or or Completely. you know birds how do they use thermals or things like that how do you take advantage of your natural elements and, yeah. and shape yourself to those elements is that exactly what? yeah you know i mean part of the thinking behind the living building challenge and i th i think it's an area that we're doing a lot of you know under under amanda's leadership you know she's really interested in biophilia and biomimetics and, right and that's another topic where you know I think it's like the net zero topic. It's like it sounds good's package when yeah. you start getting nitty and gritty. Yeah. Oh my God, it is. It is it's, absolutely wild. It is totally wild. You know, I'll be honest with you. You don't I, know where you're going. I mean, it's no, like you a, don't. It's and like I raw it, research. No, it's crazy. And and once you start thinking about it, like I joined the institute three years ago, and it was not. I mean, I'm a mega mega outdoors person. I mean, I I like birding, mountaineering, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And although I don't do as much as I used to, but um, once you start thinking about biomimetics, like I start thinking about it with everything. Like we were just talking about organizational structure or, yeah. you know, human narrative or you just start to see it in everything. And that's really an interesting piece. But I think what I, you know, there, there are what I would say kind of pretty mechanical approaches to achieving net zero energy. And I would honestly include things like you know, envelope some of those sorts of things. There, then there's then there's passive ways of like heating the building. You know, for example, just using you know thermal gain within the building. And you know, and and what's interesting is there's design with nature in all of it. You know, I mean the uh, heat pump. The the core principle that the heat pump is designed around is is ideal gas law and you know heat derived from compression, which is yeah. you know it's a it's a physical principle but I think what's great about HPA just to kind of bring it full circle back to that is then but then there is this sort of almost more poetic reach to like okay really designing around a natural system yeah. and can I just add on that yeah. really quick the the other thing about HPA is that exact same roof frame or that there's kind of a this north-facing kind of uh, altered shed profile um, that also, there's hardly any rainfall in that area, but there's a ton of fog. So the roof then, you know, what happens to prevailing foggy wind hits that roof that is, is creating the back eddy, but then the condensate of the fog is also hitting that roof and then is collected. In so, that. so they have a double pitch on that back of the roof so it catches the water from the top and it can continue down That's right. the backside and then collect. And that provides 100% of the water for the whole building. Even without rainfall, it can still. It's a, yeah, I mean, I think they live. get they get some rain, but I think Obviously, you know the majority. Is yeah, Hawaii is a complicated place for, for totally. Rain. Yeah, it's got you know tundra to you know tropics. Right. Uh, so is that a full certified project? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's one of how many? 13, 14 now? I should be able to. I, that sounds right. I'm, I'm bad with the numbers. Now, so. I was actually quite shocked at how few projects. Yeah. 44 yeah. now that have any living building yep. certification or. Yeah, pedal. agreed. Yeah, we're, you know, so we have about 300, almost 350 projects that are at some stage in our, in our system. We're registering about two a week. Okay, and what are what end. are they mostly focusing on? You know, it's 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 a it? nice it's a nice balance. Okay. You know, it's like what uh, Amanda was noting this the other day, where she was afraid that when we launched Net Zero Energy, that like we wouldn't get as many Living Building Challenge projects. But it's kind of about it's like twenty because they'll cherry pick just maybe cherry pick or whatever. But what right. we find is that some people are like, we are going to go for it. You know, Kern Center at Hampshire College just went into their performance period, full LBC, 
Mm-hmm. So I'd say like 25. Yeah. But it's an aspiration. Everybody knows that it's not, it's a challenge. So you don't necessarily achieve it, but along that way, here's the path, right? So you're giving at least path rather than saying all or nothing. Yeah. Essentially, right? So the, there's still some cookies yeah. along the path. Well, and we even have like, like, Almost, much even like I don't know what you call the little mini cookies, but we have like <laughs> our new reveal program, which is yeah. you know we it's a it's a it's a building energy performance uh, label, but it's third party verified, so we're looking at the energy bills, and um, you know and so that's seven hundred fifty bucks low barrier to entry for high performing buildings. So you know as we as we understand it, for the zero energy side of things. Uh, it gets really complicated when we start talking about utilities or time management or season management yeah. of energy yeah. and that relationship. And, yeah. and in the building industry, we, we really want to not, we want to be a resource for the utilities and yeah. not, you know, like the evil people who give them duck charts yeah. that they have to, that they the have to load chart. shade and, yeah. you know, and pretty soon, you know, we get states that are, uh, banning outright solar yeah. incentives and things like that. Yeah. So how as you look forward and you the you're 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 clearly evolving the way you put systems together and that's just inherent in how you 3.0, 3.1, you're every year there's there's yeah. kind of this evolution. How how are you targeting the evolution as we look at kind of larger scale grid yeah. implementation? You know, I think that's to me, that's one of the places where the net zero energy narrative is turning is, okay, what what really is the end game here as a whole system, right. not just the building? We've been very focused on the building. We kind of have proof of concept on the building. But you guys have, and just a side note, yeah. uh, you, the whole challenge was almost not about the building, but about everything around the building Yeah, from the beginning in a way. You know, you're saying, yeah. how does this building provide for all these other things? It's true. Than, why is it good for the building? Right. So the building's kind of becomes the resource for all all these other well, and I think that elements. So how is energy going to fit into that? I yeah, guess? and I think like people haven't necessarily understood that. And you know, I hear people's questions. It's like, yeah, good question. Like, you know, yeah, these net zero energy buildings are still drawing off a grid that, you know, this, you know, you go up to the Bullet Center and in the dark winter. Yeah, the electricity that's in that building is coming out of the Chehalis. And that's about, they have maximized that building Yeah, for its space more than just about anything. Pretty much. You see. Like I mean, that's, they, they can probably do a little bit more energy savings, but really their plug loads is it's way a, lower than they anticipated. It's 11 EUI. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and what I think they're what about fifty percent overproduction from it's fifty percent over, which is amazing. And so, like the Bullet Center, let's just take that. So I love there's there's actually a chart in the book. Um, I I could find the page, but uh, it's under the Bullet Center the bullet? section. Uh-huh. But it's a this is what I try to say to folks because people will say. Um, Okay, well, these net zero buildings are still plugged into uh, these net zero buildings are still plugged in. This may actually not be in here, but um, I don't think it is. But uh, I'll just express the point. Uh, but these net zero buildings. And send me the chart and we'll throw it okay, on well, the website. Okay, too. great. Yeah, so people, you know, like a lot of people say, oh, net zero buildings, you know, they still are drawing off the grid and et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is, is if you look, you know, like in in Washington State, but the grid's not evil per se. No, no, definitely not. But I mean, no, I mean, I because as an off gridder, I find that to be much more obnoxious which than part? grid tie. Oh, like being, grid tie is a much more environmentally positive thing than being an off grid. Yeah, and I, you know, a lot instance. of people will, I, you know, to me, I think that we are just talking about the evolution of the grid. Mm-hmm. You know, just as a starting point. Yes, that is, I think, what we're talking about. I think we may have some limited circumstances where we start to have more kind of off-grid or autonomous buildings. And I, you know, I don't, we don't know. I mean, I will say that piece of things. Like, we don't totally know but, that, that story. But the challenge over, but, is not about knowing. The challenge is about creating the precedence to know. Yeah. Right? So yeah. You, so how do you, so I guess the way to say is, how do you place the table for us to find out the answers to that problem? Yeah. Does that make sense? So, like... You dealt water. You did materials. 
you know, energy is such a big part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I yeah. can see you looking up and thinking. I'm hard. thinking. I'm not sure how to respond to that one, but um, yeah. I mean, maybe I can at least paint like uh, how I think about the integration of net zero into into kind of the overall framework. Yeah. Is that kind of get what you're getting at a little bit? I guess the overall framework, like. When we talk about water, we talk about how you connect with the water grid and yeah. supplement the water grid and kind of, and kind of help heal yeah. the, our water systems. Yeah, and it's the same with energy. Yeah, that that right now, if we have too much solar, we can end up destabilizing the grid. Yeah. So how do you become a resource for the grid? Yeah. And that as we put more and more of these zero energy buildings into the grid it reinforces and makes a better grid yeah as a okay result. i get it yeah. no that totally makes sense um so i guess a couple of things one is is i am shocked that i mean we have like you just said 45 certified lbc buildings and i'm it's sort of wild because people are like oh we they're people are identifying the this as a problem now which is i think helpful but it's like how about we get a little bit more momentum on net zero energy buildings? Like, let's, I mean, I think we can start talking about it right now, but as as a overall comment I would make is the next five years are about building the crap out of net zero high performance buildings, you know, or next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it, in some circumstances, And that's a lot a of building problem. science. I mean, that's, there's a whole bunch of- There is, there's a ton of- ticky tack. There's some ticky tacky stuff in there, like how much can the grid absorb during different times. But also just, you know, how a building actually operates and like, should we put money into energy production or conservation? For where sure. The, where the sweet spot is and, yeah. you know, and how to help guide people through that. It can be a maze because, you know, people well, have their own ideas. So. Well, and like even you look at net zero energy buildings right now, like it's it's just a blunt tool right now. It's yeah. like, yeah. I see you know. these guys with these really, you know, their their houses are pretty not that amazing. Yeah. And they put a shitload of PV on it. Yeah. And Yeah, you know, although I will say, I mean, in defense of that, or maybe not defense, but like in the power of zero, I, mm -hmm. there's only a couple buildings in there. I mean, every building in there is below the baseline they all perform better than code mm -hmm. i mean okay well not code but you mean actually code yes okay i mean and well, but we, hope, we hope that right? uh, we would hope for that yeah. yes but i mean most of them i mean if you take it back to the cbex baseline they're all in this narrow window of kind of like 15 20 eui is just kind of the norm you know maybe low 20s you know so we're talking about and relative EUI. energy use intensity so it's mm -hmm. like miles per gallons per building and the average is 60 ish uh, yeah i mean it, it really really is building dependent yeah. but uh yeah for residential and office nationally is about 70. so um yeah we're talking about you know 75 80 percent reduction from that baseline pretty uniformly so you know, a lot of people have said, oh, yeah, you just have to add PV to get to that level of performance. And my response has been, like, I'm not, I'm not seeing that as a problem. You know, most people are achieving it. But, you know, to maybe go back to this grid question mm -hmm. and kind of how, like, the end, like, really what's the end game with that? Again, like, the narrative. Like, I think we need to start painting a picture of what the end game solution is looking like, like, 25, 30 years from now physically like how okay we have these buildings i do think the net zero energy buildings do need to become more anticipatory like you look at the duck curve for example well i mean you can you can load the use of a lot of stuff in buildings to actually match the peaking time of renewables that's Make hot water electrically and totally charge cars super easy we can already do that ice I mean, energy yeah ice, ice energy storage, all yeah. that stuff we call it ice, ice storage yeah. ice storage um you know you can even positioning of renewables i think there's i'm starting to see a move where people are starting to make them more west facing to kind of match the load demand rather than south facing right right um right but I also think, you know, if you look at the bullet center and like in, in our area where to me kind of the net zero concept a little bit falls apart here in Seattle is during like December, like nighttime no in December, there's no sun. We don't really, Western so Washington, no wind, horizon, yeah. but we do have, have really good hydro at that point. So that's maybe a way to kind of balance that out. Mm -hmm. 
But if you look at the bullet center... But you're worldwide, I mean, yeah. So it's worldwide. You're creating policy worldwide, so... It adjusts kind of everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I guess maybe I'll just wrap on that point. Yeah. But, you know, the bullet center still is using, you know, it, it's using so little energy in December when it's occupied. And even in dark Seattle, I mean, it's dark here in December, it's still generating almost half of the, its power demand with solar in December. Mm -hmm. And so... That's for a Class A office. That's for a Class yeah. A office building, you know, or it's generating about a third and then drawing that balance off the grid. And let's talk about the urbanization, yeah. like uh, DLR, is that the group um, that did the San Francisco and San Diego? Oh, DPR. DPR, yes, I'm sorry, DPR DLR is a different firm. Yeah. They, um, it was interesting to see their San Francisco retrofit yes office with with all the pv on it yeah and you know it's it's really neat that they're taking these old boned bones of these old buildings and totally just turning them into fresh yes. clean space and seattle has that same kind of level of integrity i find with the design process yeah but then i was like looking at all that solar on that building is like well san francisco is like crazy rapidly going up yeah and it has no choice so their neighbor pops up a mid-rise sure. in the shading, all of a sudden the building becomes a totally different animal Yeah, its performance side. Uh, I think people, I so I th what I hear you saying is, is, okay, you get into these really dense urban environments, net zero performance on a building by building level, it's really hard to achieve. You've got shading, you only have a certain amount of kind of solar space per, per um, square foot, that yeah. kind of ratio. Yeah, yeah. That, that's part of the question, but also just within yeah, there's all sorts of other boundaries that are the solar electric is interfered by rather quickly within kind of dense urban yeah, spaces. Like can, so can, can, is can, it the right technology always for solving these yeah, problems? Yeah, I think what's interesting is I'm gratified that this question has arrived at this point. Um, we have, it, it. this question has come faster than I would have expected it to come. Uh -huh. You know, in the, again, in the narrative, right. which I'm excited by. And I so, but I think to answer your question is, is net zero energy is going to have to evolve as an idea. Um, you know, I think we're, we're starting to see the limits of it. I think that's one of the places where there's limits is in these dense environments. What's interesting, though, I will say there's, there's sort of, I, I sort of have a twofold answer. I do think you know the beauty of uh, an idea like net zero energy is if you force people to linger on the question it is remarkable how solutions do emerge like just as a for example i was in a conversation uh, i was doing a training a net zero water training in dallas and we were talking somebody had a skyscraper that they were working on and it's a very similar problem Similar problem, right. very uh, yeah. Limited resource for totally. It's like how big is skills. the roof on a on a thirty floor skyscraper yeah. with you know a thousand? How do you create rank on a on a wall? System, well, and that was exactly where the con conversation went. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like one of the guys just raised his hand. He said, "Well, I've designed skyscrapers, and I got to tell you, managing the water running down skyscrapers in our thunderstorms is a huge issue." And we collect it, we channel it, you know, it turns, there's no reason why we can't think of a so skyscraper. Rain curtain wall. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's a rain collection tower In is fact, what we're could... talking about. Right, right. So, you know, I mean, even like if you think about it, it's like, well, maybe that's, maybe if you kept the feet to the fire on net zero energy, maybe part of the solution is kind of omni, omnidirectional PV where your siding and your spandrel glass and all that stuff that's generating power. Yes, yeah. you know, right now we have in our head, oh, it has to be, uh, you know, it has to face the sun and all and those sorts of things. It has to be a cap. Has like, to be a cap. Lots of hats. I see lots of hat. Exactly. Uh, net zero. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have architecture to be, now. It doesn't have to be a hat. It can be a siding, and you know, I think that the world of PV is headed in that direction. So. I do think just because there's already a little bit of this emergent status quo yeah. in net zero energy, it's like in terms of design, well, I don't know, five years from now, that may be totally viable. And, that, and on the cover of my book, uh, which you haven't seen, but it's a Melbourne project, 
and the entire building has these discs that rotate to oh, control daylight. And yeah. it's and it's very graphically very strong building. Yeah. But also a very highly functional building. Yeah. And uh, they wanted to put solar on that, but they ran out of they, the technology. Simply didn't exist. Interesting. When they were designing the building, yeah. or it had been very expensive technology, and now they're changing that out as that it's becoming more available. The ways they can do custom PV. So I mean, just as a point of fact, that you can actually design for net zero without having all the technology in at the, at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, I've been working on net zero energy for a decade. So it's like, it's kind of this, I mean, if you've been thinking about it that long, you know, you just, it's like you've thought about it a lot, you yeah. know, and, and like writing a book and too. every little nuance of it. Yeah, totally. I mean, you just kind of, you can't help yourself. You just start to think about, well. Do you go to like dinner parties and start? No. It's weird. It's weird to talk about this stuff socially because, like, I'm actually usually so tired of it by the time I'm, like, at, in my other world, like, friends that aren't into this. I, I kind of just don't You talk it. about wine instead. I talk, yeah, I, I want to geek out about something completely different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like the... Like being the doctor and people are always... I totally... It is. It's just what like... their ailments are. Don't even talk to me. And it's funny because like I'm a, I'm a hyper geek on a lot of stuff like audio equipment and all this, you know, stuff. And that I just immediately... Once I'm out of this stuff, I'm like... I, I'll, I'll talk to people about that so long, you know. And uh, yeah, I just... I think you just can't do it all the time. Your brain just freaks out. Plus you... Yeah. It's a lot to... It is, it is for sure. And uh, on that note, what's your, uh, what's your, what are your challenges and kind of vision of where you want to go with this and, and how, how you want to frame it? Yeah, it's interesting. James Connolly, who's our LPC director, mentioned this. He was on a Fulbright and was doing some research. And one of the things he was taught, he was looking at the tipping points of green building systems around the world on a national level, and that. And it's at about 500 buildings that things start to kind of have self-momentum. And, you know, I think for me, I would like to get us across the finish line, not finish line, but I think to push hard to get us to 500 to 1,000, really a good sample of many net zero projects where they are just like, okay, they're in every state, they're in every climate zone, they're in every product type, People know who what they are. Not necessarily mainstream, but but there is some na- mainstream understanding that there's okay. There's this parallel universe out there of high performing buildings, you know. And then I think at the same time, I do think we have to then start to paint uh, paint a picture of like how, what does the whole package look like. I, I also feel like can you do that at the same time? Is there a way? To- I think at the same time. Yeah, I mean, and and we're already starting to do that. I mean. We're actually on a consulting team right now with the district of, for the District of Columbia to do an energy plan for them to get to carbon neutrality, you know, and we're painting that picture right now. But, but I think the missing piece is, is the, like, I think a lot of people are talking about this through the, the municipal lens, which I think is critical because that's where the leadership is coming from. But the utilities are still out there. So it's like how do they all these... They have veto power in a way. Maybe in some ways, you yeah. know, I, they're going to have political. They're going to have to be careful. They can though. make your life. They can, but I than... think that um, you know, it's just it's a bunch of actors out there, yeah. you know. And I think, uh, I think everybody's going to have to work together to create what that common vision looks like. I mean, my ideal would be that uh, I would like to find three to five utilities, maybe smaller utilities. They may even be like you know, the, the utility in the San Juan Islands, you know, even that scale, some small scale utilities and just say, look, let's, let's just, let's just make the change. You know, what does this whole package looks like to go to full renewable? And I think like RMI, their, their strategy of, of looking at islands is brilliant. You know, Hawaii, you know, that's going to be the first, Hawaii will be the first net zero energy state. And right now Hawaii's kind of in that condition where they're, because they've, uh, because they're having such so much saturation of PV yeah. on the market, they're they're actually charging customers a lot of money to put PV onto the grid, 
Yeah. It's very in what they're paying 30, 30 cents or something a kilowatt. Yeah. So now they're deciding a lot of people are saying it's cheaper to go off grid. Yeah. But then that in itself means now you're no longer being a contributor to the overall quality of the grid. Yeah. So we're de incentivizing kind of kind of a a, a, a carbon free grid. I kind from of that point of view. So Hawaii is like the future, you know, mm-hmm. for North America. Like just mm-hmm. if you wanted to see where we're gonna be at in five or ten years, it's Hawaii, yeah. I think. Yeah. And it is. It is sort of like, is it going to be this, or is it going to be this, or some kind of hybrid? But it also means that you can't just be cranking up, putting putting lots of PV on and then lots of air conditioning. Yeah. You know, hoping everything oh, totally. works out. So Totally. So hopefully that... No, because that's also not a resilient solution. I mean, there's just all these... You, you have to have the conservation with the production, for sure. Right. Really wanted to talk about heat pumps, but we'll do that next time. Uh, awesome. I love heat pumps. I'm obsessed with heat pumps. I think heat pumps are going to be a fun. Yeah, heat pumps, so. man. Maybe, Maybe we'll pick your brain. Heat about p- like, talk about the most boring. I do want to rebrand heat pumps, though. What a terrible name. Call them heat actualizers. Actualizers. Yeah. I don't know. That's something. True. The magic heat machine or something. They did come up with this concept in Passive House called the Magic Box. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I know the Magic Box. So, yeah, the Magic Box is cool. It's an interesting concept. Yeah. It's a bit of an expensive disaster. It is. But, yeah. you know, yeah, I think it got as far as it did because it was called the Magic Box. Well, that could be. But, uh, no, I'd love <laughs> to talk about heat pumps. Okay. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Andrew. This is great. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, totally.